0: The American History Podcast, Season 1, Episode 4 The British North American Empire. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Worswick. Alright, as always, before we get started, please head over to the website and sign up for the email list. You can check out the sources, and while you're there, sign up for the Patreon. For just $5 a month, you can help support the show, help keep the lights on, so to speak. Plus, you'll get access to transcripts of every show we do, the episode of the week, um, or I should say the episode a week before the rest of the world, and commercial-free, as well as a bonus series, such as our current one, which is 1983, the year the world almost ended. If you're not into Patreon, you can simply enter Amazon through the Amazon ad um, on our homepage or our website, actually through the resources. You don't have to buy what it suggests, so just feel free to purchase anything you like. Doing that causes Uncle Jeff to send us a few pennies every time that you do it, and it can add up, especially if you're purchasing books for college. Now, if you're into the whole social media thing, you can find me on Twitter at AmericanHiscast. I also recently broke down and finally set up a Facebook group so head over to Facebook to take part in whatever's going on over there. And finally, if you have questions or comments, please feel free to email me. The email is sean at Podcast.com. Okay, before we actually get started, I just want to let you know that originally I recorded this episode in 2017. However, the audio for those initial episodes was, to be frank, horrible. So in celebration of our third anniversary, I'm re-recording these episodes. Now some of them I've changed up a little bit, and I suspect that this one might be no different. Um the first difference is that in season two, I decided to signal the start of each episode with this song of the week. I'll go ahead and start that here with our look at the British Empire in North America. So this week our song of the week is The Girl I Left Behind Me. This song was popular in the 18th century, although I doubt this version, recorded in the 1940s, sounded the way it originally did. Either way, Enjoy it, and I'll see you on the other side. Now, bow to your partner, and a lady on your left. Now, your ends in a circle to the left, and around and around, round you go, when you're back riding with a dozy do. In a back cheer, on in a home, you go, and a two by two, and a get him on a home like you are to do, a home you go. Now, for just about to the right and swing away the old right hand, swing your partner by your left a pomonetic album, behind you. Oh, that girl, that for a little girl, that girl I left behind me, the rosy cheeks and the curly hair, that girl I left behind me. Oh four for just about to the right and swing away the old right hand, swing your partner by you, and in a pomonetic album, behind you. Oh, that girl, that for a little girl. All right, so let's review the. F- Impulse and motivation that lay behind the European drive to obtain colonies. There were political and economic motivators. First, you had the end of the Crusades. These ended in Spain, and once they were over, the Spanish monarchy was faced with a situation in which they had a large number of armed men just sitting around. Luckily for them, at the same time, you got 1492 and Columbus stumbling upon the New World. Now, a second factor is the Protestant Reformation. The Puritans in England wanted to purify their practices. Furthermore, they came to the conclusion that moving away from the corrupt English practices of the Anglican Church was their best bet. They initially tried moving to the Netherlands, but when that didn't prove effective, their only choice was to move to the New World. Third, you had the Renaissance. This provided both an intellectual drive and a sense of curiosity needed to go out and explore. A motivating factor would be around for several centuries, at least well into the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Fourth was the rise of mercantilism. This was an economic system that major European powers were using at the time. Basically, this was the belief that all wealth is produced for the mother country. To put it another way, it was the desire to have a positive trade balance. You didn't want to trade for, say, cloth from France. You wanted to produce it yourself. Thus, you wanted or needed colonies. Compare that to today. Um, Today, the modern global economy emphasizes specialization but that's a topic for maybe a different episode. Okay, so just as the Spanish and Portuguese had the experiences in the Canary Islands as a blueprint for colonization and the Reconquista uh, as a blueprint for conquest, the English experience in Scotland and Ireland provided the British with a blueprint for subjugation as well. In the 16th century, the English conquered Ireland and concluded the Irish were no better than savages and unreasonable beasts, as justification for the way the English would treat their opponents. This would, in due course, be the blueprint the English would follow when dealing with the Native Americans. In the meantime, the English decided that a colony must be planted under the direction of a central monopoly organization that was run along military lines. Thus, the British colonial plan contained two important characteristics. First, a centralizing governmental aspect and, just as importantly, a militarized nature. Also important was the denial of property rights of the Irish peasants. The English declared the Irish had no rights in owning land. Instead, the land would be given over to the crown's favorite lackeys, courtiers and even monopoly companies, all of whom would enjoy feudal powers over their new lands. Further, the Irish were purposely either exterminated or driven off the land, and on the vacated lands the English then planted their supposed surplus of poor peasants, who were themselves now little better than serfs. What is important here is to remember, this is not a situation in which the free market is at work. Now, if it were, the English would not have claimed the unused land, whether it's in America or Ireland, and they would have granted ownership to land to actual settlers, not to a monopolistic company. And before we go on, there are two terms that I want you to understand, and knowing them will be helpful going forward. First, proprietary colony. This was a type of colony in which the king gave a charter to a friend or an ally, to then facilitate private investment in the colony. Probably the most famous proprietary colony was Maryland. Now a second type of colony was the royal colony. These colonies were administered by agents of the Crown. Virginia was an example of a royal colony, at least after uh, 1624, when the Crown revoked the charter from the Virginia Company. Now the fourth thing that you need to understand about Britain and the colonies is the role of the aforementioned mercantilism as a driving force. This was the dominant economic system in Europe from the 16th through the 18th centuries. If you thought it was capitalism, you were mistaken. Unlike capitalism, mercantilism is a heavily regulated economy that requires a positive trade balance for the mother country. It proposed the protection of the economy through tariffs, subsidies, the promotion of industry by government, commerce, and finance, and it believed in central banking. None of this is capitalism, or at least not free market capitalism. Now, one of the results of all this was the creation of bubbles. An economic bubble, in case you were wondering, is an economic cycle characterized by a rapid escalation of asset prices, followed by a sharp contraction. Often, this rapid escalation is assisted by cheap credit made available by a central bank. And then the surge in prices or asset prices is unwarranted based on market fundamentals. Some examples of bubbles in history um, are the tulip mania in the 17th century, the South Sea Company bubble of the 18th century as well, um, some more modern examples are the dot-com bubble of the 1995 through 2000, the 1997 Asian financial crisis, and the housing bubble in the United States. Now, under mercantilism, the idea was that the mother country wanted the colonies to produce raw materials, be they precious metals or timber, cotton, things like that, um, which would be hoarded by the mother country or turned into finished goods and then sold to the colonies or other markets. The thing With this is that it often led to wars between countries. Now one of the things to come out of all this was the continuation of a trend that had been taking place for several centuries, the centralization of power. In Spain, as we touched upon it in episode two, you had the centralization of power in the monarchy of Isabella and Ferdinand, but you also had that taking place under the reign of Charles V and Philip I. This was not unique to Spain. In France, you had the reigns of Francis I, Henry II, especially Louis XIV, the Sun King. In England, centralization took place under the reigns of Elizabeth I, James I, Charles II first and II, and even James II. But again, this had been slowly taking place for centuries. It wasn't something new, I want to emphasize that. However, in this period, monarchs used colonies as a means of solidifying their power and adding to their personal prestige. Um, The English political tradition, though, meant their experience with colonies, especially the American colonies, was going to be different, especially in the aftermath of the Glorious Revolution of 1688 and its implications for the power of the monarch, the idea of democratic government, and the rights of the people. Okay, that's all for now. I know this episode is a bit short, um, but this was just intended to give you an introduction to the British Empire in North America. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.